0: church, what our city needs, what your circle of influence needs, what your family members need is somebody with a real, active, alive, confident faith in Jesus Christ. That is what Peter had.
1: Hello and welcome to the City Baptist Church podcast, where our desire is to help others find meaning and mission in following Jesus. Today's message is from our brand new sermon series, Acts Church on the Moon. In this series, we follow the expansion of the early church. Even in the midst of persecution, we see the church experience tremendous growth through the power of God and staying faithfully committed to the word and community.
0: Today I'm going to do a little bit more of an introduction to you about the book of Acts and then we'll cover all of chapter 3. But I'm really excited about what we see as we follow the early church and its growth. Now, last week we covered extensively chapter 2, especially verses 42 to verse uh, 47 and I'll reference it some today. Um, But I want to give you a bit of a a background of the book of Acts, a little bit of overview as we get into it. Um, That'll help set the tone for the rest of the series. I'll refer uh, back to this several times. But Acts chapter 3 today is where we're going to be. So if you need to get your Bibles out, go ahead and get there while I give you a little bit of introduction. Now the book of Acts was written by a guy by the name of Luke. That's right. His name was not Acts. And uh, (laughs) Short for Axel. No, his name was uh, Luke. And uh, Luke was a Gentile believer. He was really close to the Apostle Paul. In fact, he went on him on many of his journeys. And by occupation, uh, Luke was a physician. He was a very well-educated guy. We see it all throughout his writings. You know, there's a distinct uh, difference between the writings of the Apostle Peter and then of Luke. You kind of notice it. Peter's a fisherman. He kind of wrote kind of rough and specific. Even Mark wrote very differently than others. And Luke, you can really see his education come out in the writing, but he was a companion to Paul. He wrote this, we believe, around AD 62, Um, so just right before uh, the temple in Israel was uh, was destroyed, and I mean, all all sorts of things happened right after that. He would have written it right about then, but the book of Acts is a really, really great book. It covers a lot of different things, and for some of you, I know you're like, hey, I've heard it. I know all about the book of Acts. I promise you, you're going to learn some new stuff as we study it. I promise you, you're going to learn some things about the church, and I am excited about applying it to our church here at City Baptist, as we're moving forward for the Lord here in Vancouver. Um, But the book of Acts talks about a lot of different things. I'm going to very quickly roll through a few of them. One of the things that we see in the book of Acts is that it shows God's extraordinary work in individual Christians. And I love that about the book. How it shows God doing something special through just normal people. As well in the book, we see how it records historical events. And we'll reference those. Uh, I'll I'll connect the dots for you for maybe some of your high school history and uh, make those uh, uh, available. Not available, but uh, I'll Them out to you Uh, as well, it explains to us the inclusion of Gentiles into the family of God or the churches, as we'll notice throughout. And that's a really interesting study, we'll talk about that a lot as the gospel really transforms from it being preserved and held by the Jewish people to now uh, being widespread among the Gentiles through those that were non Jews. And we'll cover all of that, Uh, but as well, what we see is how it links the gospels and the epistles. Now, Luke wrote Luke, right? One of the gospels. He also wrote the book of Acts and he ties them together just in an amazing way. As well as our, in our study, we'll see how it describes opposition to the gospel. And you'll notice that even beginning next week, how we see persecution coming in and start to sweep through the church and the difference that it makes to them and then how God uses that persecution to spread the gospel all around the known world. As well, we see How it illustrates how, here's the key word, God grows his church. And that's what we're going to really focus on is how it is God who is the one who is doing the building. It is God is the one who's making a difference in people's lives. It's not about us. It's not about how cool we are or about how great our worship service is, although our worship service is pretty great. I'm thankful for that. Um, It's not about, you know, how tight my pants are. That's a really weird thing to say. Sorry. Uh, That's a really strange thing to say. Uh, But I, I was reading something this week and they, and anyway, okay about how pastors wear really tight pants, but mine are not super tight. Does that make everybody uncomfortable? Should we start again? Hal says he's uncomfortable. All right, we'll start again. Uh, But it's not, you get it. It's not about how hip or whatever it is. It's all about God. God is the one who does. That was really weird. We'll just, uh, let's just take a breather. All right, okay, we'll get back to it. And uh, so those are the things that we're going to see. Now, the book is commonly referred to as the Acts of the Apostles you might see that there in your bible. And and that's I guess you could call it a fitting title, but honestly as we study it what you'll notice is that it really should be titled The Acts of the Holy Spirit Through His People. Really would be a better title cuz it's not about the apostles and what they did, it's about again what God did through his spirit and 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 really the whole book is hinged off of and interestingly enough and we'll talk about this more next week. It is actually divided up the entire book is divided up in sections based off of what Jesus said to his people in Acts chapter number one and verse number eight. Now, you know this verse, but Jesus, right before he ascended into heaven, he said, but ye shall receive what? Power. So the power you're going to receive, after that, the Holy Ghost has come upon you. Now, that is what he's saying is that the Holy Ghost is going to give you that power. So you're going to have this power of the Holy Spirit that comes upon you, and ye shall be witnesses unto me, both in Jerusalem. Here's the divisions of the book. In Jerusalem, chapters one through seven, in Judea and Samaria chapters 8 through uh, 12 and then under the uttermost part of the earth chapters 13 through chapters 26 and it's divided in that way but Acts 1 8 is really the key verse uh, when it comes to the entire book and Jesus here is promising uh, to these early believers the total fulfillment of the prophecies that promised now get this Jesus right here was promising to them the fulfillment of the Old Testament prophecies that his presence would once again be right there with the people. Now to the Jews, now understand this. To the Jews, they thought it was going to come like it had before in that flame of fire over the tabernacle. They thought it was going to come before like on Mount Sinai when that fire came down and, and God came and, and presided with the people. They thought it was going to be like uh, God when he was in the um. Uh, in the ark, and that was carried with the people as his presence. But what I want you to see in the book of Acts, which is so great, we covered this some last week, is that what God was doing here is that, yes, his presence was coming down, but rather than dwelling in the temple at Jerusalem, it was coming down and dwelling in the temple, the people, and his spirit came down. And we saw that last week at Pentecost. His spirit came down and dwelt within and, and rested permanently in his new temples, our bodies, those that place their faith and trust in Jesus Christ. That's why in 1 Corinthians it tells us what? And I like how he says it what? Know ye not that your body is the temple of the Holy Ghost which is in you which ye have of God and ye are not your own. See the Holy Spirit that came down was not coming to dwell in the temple at Jerusalem so everyone could say well there's the presence of God it came down and through the day of Pentecost came and resided in us today even to us today who are saved and that God's presence is with us and indwells with us. And so we saw that last week. We talked about it a little bit, how the Holy Spirit came down and that incredible miracle that took place as the, the Spirit was represented by the tongues of fire, remember, and it came and then they went out into the streets and they began to preach and they began to teach and the Bible tells us that the people from who were in Jerusalem because of the Feast of Pentecost from all around the known world, Jews that had been dispersed would come back uh, for that feast time and they were able to hear the gospel. They were to hear that Jesus was Lord in their own languages and we saw uh, how there was languages from the Middle East represented from Asia Minor from Europe from North Africa and as those uh, supposedly unlearned people went out and as they preached the gospel they heard it in their own tongue these people from all different places and um and it really astonished them I mean it was amazing and then what we saw happen in the book was then the day of Pentecost where 3,000 people put their faith and trust in Jesus Christ and were baptized and added to the church. Man, I prayed for that this week. <laughs> and we're close. <laughs> but Man, I think about that for a minute. How amazing would that have been to experience 3,000 people in one day repent, believe, and be baptized And added to the church. And from that point on, what we see is just an amazing period of just joy and gladness within that early church. We see that there in Acts chapter number 2. It described it for us. uh, Where they devoted themselves daily to the word. They devoted themselves to fellowship with one another. They devoted themselves to communion. That's the spiritual connection. And then as well, they devoted and committed themselves to prayer. And as a result, what we see in, the, uh, cha- in chapter number two is that with singleness of heart and with gladness, we see them lay aside their past prejudices. We see them getting along with people from all sorts of different backgrounds. We see them giving of their wealth. And in fact, what we see is them selling off their property in order to care for the needs of others. How many of you this week sold your property? to care for the needs of this church family. Can I get a, no. (laughs) We talked about that last week and how amazing it was. It was interesting. In my study this week, I discovered something new, not discovered something new, but it was reminded of something. And and this this is so cool. Again, the connection of the Jewish temple versus now our bodies being the temples of the Holy Spirit. You know, the whole idea of caring for the poor and caring for those in need was something that was to be taken place through the actual temple in Jerusalem. That's actually what was supposed to be happening. People would sell their property, give it to uh, the temple, and then they would disperse it to care for poor people. But all throughout the Bible, we see stories of poor people, don't we? People begging, people in great need. And so what had happened is that the temple was not fulfilling its role of caring for others. But then once the Holy Spirit came and those people uh, turned to Christ and they got baptized, what we see happening is that becoming an outflow of their life as they then sold their property and used it to care for those in need. Do you see what's happening there? They were fulfilling an aspect of the temple that hadn't been taken care of for generations. And it's seen all through the Holy Spirit and what happens when God gets a hold of a person's life. Man, it gives me chills thinking about it. I'm sorry. I just, oh, man. I'm thinking about it. It's awesome that the Holy Spirit can do that in someone that would move them to such a point to give up something that was valuable to them in order to care for somebody who had less. And this is what we see happening. Imagine being there. Imagine being there as those 3,000 people went to their loved ones and went to their family after, uh, after getting saved and baptized and explaining to them the truth of the Messiah. It would have just been, like we said last week, there was a serious vibe happening in Jerusalem. There were some incredible things going on, and, and, and you could just feel it in the air as they were getting right with the Lord and understanding what it meant. And, and while, as we saw uh, last week as well, there was not a lot of organizational structure going on, but what they did is they continued on with their daily routines, uh, routines of prayer, of, of even of going to the temple, as we'll see in a moment. They continued on with what they knew to do, but with a totally radically transformed idea, totally radically, a radically different idea of who they were praying to, of who they were worshiping, of what was to come. And I got to tell you, the same thing happens to us when you put your faith and trust in Jesus Christ. Changes your outlook, changes your focus on the way that you approach life. Well, now we get to Acts chapter 3. That was a very brief overview of what we've covered so far in the book. But in Acts chapter 3, what we see happening is that even though they knew Jesus Christ, even though they were saved, even though there was these extra teachings going on, the apostles were daily house-to-house preaching and teaching, even though that was all going on, still for the Jews in Jerusalem, they were it was almost business as usual as far as continuing on, going to the temple, their times of prayer. Uh, There's still a lot that would change as we walk through the book, as, it, as the church develops uh, into really the plan that we follow today for how the church should operate. But today what we're going to do is we're going to join the Apostle Peter and John. Now, Peter and John were close companions of one another. They are also part of the inner circle uh, of Jesus Christ. They had been with him. And, of course, we're, we're talking only a couple months after Jesus had ascended into heaven. But we're going to join them as they are heading to the temple to pray. Look at Acts chapter 3 and uh, verse number 1. Now, Peter and John went up together into the temple at the hour of prayer being the ninth hour. So after this amazing situation of Pentecost, all these people come to know the Lord. And then it's sort of like this, just like, well, and then they went to the temple to pray. Just kind of a, a real basic move by Peter and John. Uh, they're going to go to the temple. This is what everybody's doing. And they're going there about the third, uh, the ninth hour. It says it's about three o'clock. And they went there to, uh, to pray, of course, and and, and, and what, it, what it again shows us is that chapters one through seven really is focused on the Jewish believers, because uh, no believer who had read Galatians or Hebrews would participate in that kind of Old Testament ritualistic type of a thing that they were doing. But Peter and John here are not being rebellious in any sense. They're just censors being obedient Jews they're keeping the appointed times of prayer. But now as they go to the temple with their new outset and their new mindset, uh, things do begin to change. And we see that happening here as they get to the temple. Now, when they get to the temple, they're confronted with a familiar sound to them. It would have been something that, for them, it would have not have been anything out of the ordinary. They would have noticed it, maybe, but it was something that was familiar to them. And here's where we're introduced to the main character of our story. And point number one today, I just want you to write this down real simple. I want you to write down the man. The man. It's because we don't have a name, so we're going to call him the man. We could name him, but we won't. We'll call him the man today. And we're introduced to the main character in our story. Look at verse number two as we learn about this guy. It says, In a certain man, and say that next word with me, lame. Now that's not like lame, like we would say lame today. Uh, that means that he could not walk, okay? So it says, In a certain man, lame from his mother's womb was carried, whom they laid daily at the gate of the temple, which is called beautiful, to ask alms. Now alms is either a donation of food or of money. That kind of encompasses alms there. To ask alms of them that entered into the temple, Who, seeing Peter and John about to go into the temple, asked an alms. So he asked alms of them. So like I said, for the Jews heading there, this would have been a very common sight. As we understand, this man had been lame from his mother's womb. From his entire life, he'd been unable to move, unable to work at that point. And so people would carry him, and they would place him at the gate beautiful, heading into Uh, the temple. Now, if you were strategic as someone who needed to beg for a living, the gate beautiful is where it's at. I mean, that's like ground that you defend, you know? Uh, You hear about like homeless guys getting in fights over territory and all that. That's what this was. I mean, this was the place. This was the place to be. The gate beautiful, because a lot of people would choose to enter through that gate because it was beautiful there you got it this 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 gate was amazing heading into the temple there was uh, eight different uh, gates that entered uh, there into the temple but the gate beautiful was pretty was was the best it was fashioned it was made with corinthian bronze and as it is described it was more glorious than all of the other gates even the gates that had gold and silver on them the gate beautiful was still the best it was 25 meters high at its entrance, I know we think like okay, like a wooden gate going to the backyard. I mean, this was huge, 25 meters uh, high. It was it was a massive place. It was one of nine gates, sorry, that led from the court of the Gentiles into uh, the inner courts of the temple. And uh, interestingly enough, at every gate there would have been signs posted saying that if any Gentiles entered this area, they'd be punishable by death. As well, there would be signs at each gate entering into the temple area that said uh, that if you were crippled, you were not allowed to go in there as well. And then at the outside, so imagine this amazing, beautiful gate, and then down here at the bottom, at the entrance of the gate, we see this man, poor, crippled, begging, and asking for attention is really what it is trying to get the attention of people so that they would care for him in some way do you see the contrast here the 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 beauty of the religion religious and then we see the desperate person just on the outside of it really struggling and what we see here is a picture of the human race because like this beggar who is sitting here at the outside like people today they are helpless and they are hopeless They're unable to do anything on their own to get to heaven, no matter how desperately they want to get to heaven. And they're spiritually crippled, and they desperately need the work of God in their hearts. And so that's a picture, a type that we're going to carry through throughout the study now. Well, this man, he sees them, and he turns to them, and he asks them uh, for, for some alms. And verse number four, it says, And Peter fastening his eyes upon him with John. I mean, they just locked us. Like when you see that one across the room, you're gonna marry, you know, whoa, man. They'd locked in except it was not like that at all. Uh, their eyes locked on, uh, locked upon him with John. And this is what he said to him. He said, look on us. Did you notice that? He said, hey, hey, look, look up here at me. And he, that's the crippled man, gave heed unto them, expecting to receive something of them. So Peter obviously saw the need of this man, uh, someone I'm sure he had seen before. But he tells them, hey, I want you to look at me. Now, anyone who's in a position of begging, you'll notice this, even in our city, typically don't look you in the eye. You ever notice that? I mean, there's that element of, of shame, of course, of, uh, of, of, of whatever it is that they're going through. And I'm sure for this man, too, he wouldn't even look him in the eye. Hey, can you just help me out? And Peter says, I want you to look at me. And then Peter says this in verse number six. Peter said, silver and gold have I, what? None. And the lame man said, hit the road. (laughs) Then why are you talking to me? I'm sure that's what he was thinking. Okay, so you got nothing. But then look what he says. But such as I have. Now that's a key phrase. We're going to come back to that at the end of the message. He says, but such as I have, give I thee. And then he says this. Now this this is where it gets interesting. In the name of Jesus Christ of Nazareth. Say it with me. Rise up and walk. He says, I don't have any gold. I don't have any silver, but what I do have, I'm going to give it to you. And so he says, in the name of Jesus Christ of Nazareth, I want you to rise up and walk. Now, those first words of I got nothing would have been a punch in the gut for that guy. Like, okay, great. Why are you coming and talking to me if you have nothing for me? Uh, But the follow-up words that Peter said were about to drastically change this man's life forever. Now, for sure that beggar had heard of Jesus of Nazareth. For sure. For sure. For sure. And so when Peter says to him that in the name of Jesus of Nazareth, I'm sure in his mind a lot of things just started to roll. Maybe he knew of other people who were beggars who had been healed by Jesus. The question I always ask myself, I was thinking about this this morning, is, you know, Jesus healed many, many people throughout that area. But why this guy? Why was he still here? I mean, people would be carried. They would come to him, right? And Jesus would heal. I mean, thousands of people were healed, but this man was still there at this gate. Beautiful. Why was he not? I mean, we know Jesus went to the temple. Why was it that this man was not healed if he had been lame from his mother's womb? And you know what? We don't know. I like to think that maybe Jesus left him here for what was about to happen. (laughs) Right? Jesus, it was interesting. Sometimes Jesus just healed one. Remember the story at at the pool of Bethesda? Where he just sort of essentially stepped over people <laughs> and said, healed, and snuck out of there and not tied. And there's hundreds of people there that needed help. And Jesus, everything he did was with a purpose. And maybe this man was there for that reason. But he had heard about Jesus. He had heard all the rumors. He had heard that, uh, you know, that he had died and that maybe someone had taken his body. He had heard, I'm sure, about the 3,000 that were converted and baptized. And I'm sure he had heard about all that was happening. But for the first time, someone came to him speaking about Jesus. And he challenged him then at that point to put his faith in him. And to help him out, Peter then reached out with his hand. And he held it there for the guy. And this is where we see the miracle. So we see the man, point number one. Secondly, we see the miracle. Look at verse number seven. And he, that's Peter, took him by the right hand. Now, I think that's cool uh, just because it shows us more about Peter's uh, personality, right? Jesus, he would heal somebody, you know, and they'd, they'd get up. And Peter's like, hey, man, come on. <laughs> he just had to get right at it. And He grabbed his hand, and he, and he lifted him up. And notice what it says here. And immediately immediately his feet and ankle bones received strength you see, that's the weirdest detail ever (laughs) but verse, look what happened and he leaping up stood and walked and entered with them into the temple walking and leaping and praising god there's a song we used to sing as a kid you know walking and leaping and praising god walking and leaping some of you know i grew up in school and i would literally run and leap around the room as we sang it it was really fun it's kind of like christian this morning you know as he's leaping and praising god and uh and we would do that and uh uh and, and So he's leaping, he's praising, he's going around, and it's so cool that Luke uh, puts in here that his feet and ankle bones. This is so cool. This is little stuff that you notice as you study scripture, and that's why it's fun to really get deep. The the words, the original words for feet and ankle bones, are actually uh, um, they're um, uh, medical terms. That's the word I'm looking for: medical terms. In fact, if you go to other places in the Bible and you look up the word "feet," it's actually a different Greek word than what is used here. These are medical terms that Luke himself put in. In fact, the average person wouldn't even have known these words, and yet he puts them in, and he's talking about the restoration that is taking place as Peter grabs this guy and lifts him up. And church, don't miss out on the significance of this. So easy, uh, it's so easy for us as Christians who maybe grew up in church. Uh, we went, grew up in Sunday school walking around and leaping and praising God that we hear these miracles and we're like, ah, yeah, you know, it's not a big deal. But I want you to think about it for a minute. As Peter reached down and as he grabbed that guy, who was lame, who could not walk for his entire life from the time uh, he was born, could not move. Whether it was a spinal injury or some sort of a nervous system issue that he had in his life, that as Peter grabbed him by the hand and as he pulled him up, that a transformation, a healing took place from the ground to when he, hit, when he stood up. Like that. Sometimes we think like, oh, this healing, and, and you try to imagine what it was like. Like, think about when, when they healed uh, the guy, oh, when Jesus healed the guys that had leprosy. If you know anything about leprosy, it's disgusting. Like, it, it really is. The effects on the body. I mean, it eats away at your limbs. Your fingers and, and, and appendages will fall off. Your nose, uh, 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 there's great skin issues. And it says that as Jesus healed them. Imagine that, like, today with special effects, we see that, you know. Uh, we see people uh, in, in uh, I don't think there was the popping sound at the end. But you see that, and, and, and today we can kind of understand it. But think about, I mean, the transformation that took place. As he grabbed him and pulled him up, and immediately it says that he was healed. Incredible. Have you ever, uh, have you ever had maybe show up as an ad on, on uh, Facebook or Instagram or something, or you're online, and, and these, it's all clickbait, but, you know, and I click it sometimes, and it's like, uh, check out this video of this, of this uh, you know, baby hearing for the first time. Have you ever seen those? I just sit there and cry. You know, as like a two-year-old who had some sort of issue, you know, and they're able to have surgery or an implant and they hear their mom say their name for the first time. Like, I, it, oh, it's, it's crazy. Or, or, or now, like with technology, they can, uh, kids who, who, couldn't, uh, who couldn't see color you know, and then they give them those glasses and they see color for the first time. I saw this video recently and oh man, it was great. It was great. You gotta watch it. And if you want a good cry, go and watch one of those and just to see, see these kids experience something that we take for granted, right? And I imagine that's what it would have been like for that guy who never walked, who had dreamed of getting up and walking and dreamed of running through the meadow and all of these things, sprinting down the street with his friends. Now he stood and he walked through the power of, Of Almighty God healed him in that amazing way. And for the first time in his life, I want you to see the verse there, the second part of verse number eight. He leaped up. He stood. Now now to us, it's like he stood and walked. But imagine as he was like, (laughs) you know, like for the first time experiencing this. And Peter's saying, like, you can let go of me now, (laughs) you know? And and as he's there and and as he takes those first steps, I mean, what would have transpired to be there to experience it would have just been incredible? But I want to notice the two things that he did, first of all, when it it happened to him. The first thing that he did, it says that he went into the temple. Someone who had been banned from the temple for his whole life, he says, man, I'm going in there. (laughs) I've never been allowed to go in there. I'm going in there now. I'm going into that place that, to them, represented the presence of God. But for us today, when someone's saved, man, they can, they're right there in the presence of God. And he took that step and he went into the temple. And then it says here that he leaped and praised God. And I'm sure it was at a volume that was not appropriate for the temple at the time. But he started yelling and praising and shouting and praising God. It should remind you of what you felt like when you first got saved. And how you just want to tell everybody and you wanted to give praise to him and thank him for what he did. It's so fun to to pray with somebody as they accept Christ. And and I've had this happen many times where I've been able to uh, be with someone as they prayed and turned to Christ. And to hear them just say thank you, thank you, thank you. To God, praising him and thanking him for what had happened. But another thing happened in verse number 9. It says, and all the people saw him walking and praising God. Now, there would have been thousands of people there during this time of prayer. This was the 3 o'clock time of prayer. Uh, A lot of people would be done work for the day, and they would go to temple before they would go home. There would have been many, many people there, many people who knew this man, people who part of their ritual maybe was to give him something each day as they would come in. But now they see him in the temple. And it says, and they knew that it was he which sat for alms at the beautiful gate. Like I said, they knew him. And look at this, and they were filled with what? Wonder and amazement at that which had happened unto him. And all these people then began to gather around and they were wondering and they're like, wow, we know who this is. And like the title of my message is, this guy went from lame to fame. (laughs) That's where it is. That's what happened. Everybody knew who he was. They saw him as he was leaping and praising God. And and, uh, as the word spread, I'm sure maybe one of the temple guards approached him, don't you think? I imagine this all, I like to sit there and imagine what it'd been like. They're like, hey, that guy's supposed to be outside sitting down. (laughs) And he's like, hey, bro. I'm walking, I'm good, I can come in, I'm totally healed. And uh, as he came in and you can't stop me from being here, I'm, I'm in the temple and, and he praised God and, and the change that happened is so miraculous and it reminds us of what happens when a sinner turns to Jesus Christ. And we give our lives to him and that change that can happen is this man once in the rags of his sin, unable to do anything for himself, left in despair when he was introduced to Jesus Christ and even physically healed Through the power of Jesus Christ, a change happened. You remember that old hymn we used to sing, what a wonderful change in my life has been wrought when since Jesus came into my heart. The second phrase says, I have light in my soul for which long I have sought since Jesus came into my heart. And that's talking about the change that people are seeking for God. But man, since Jesus came into his heart, since he got saved, since he turned to him, since he believed and had faith, everything changed for him. In church, we never, we should never lose uh, sight of the fact that Jesus can change a life. That Jesus can change a life. That the new life that we have in Jesus Christ and the new life that you have as a believer today has the power to change that coworker of yours that is struggling with addiction right now. That you know that the power of God has the ability to change that coworker's struggle with addiction and radically transform their life. The same power that we see healing this man of this physical issue is the same God that can help your family member That is, life is destroyed by bitterness at this point. The same power uh, uh, that we see here is the same uh, power that can be given to a friend of yours that's seeking happiness in just their pursuit of wealth. You see what I'm trying to say here? The same power that we see in this that we go, wow, that would have been amazing, can radically transform your life and can radically transform the lives of those of you that you know that are seeking for help and seeking for satisfaction somewhere else. See, the gospel is what can heal a broken heart. It is the gospel that can give hope to the hopeless. It can stir the heart of a child, and it's wonderful to see. And the gospel can humble the proudest person in the room. That's why Paul said in Romans 1.16, For I am not ashamed of the gospel of Christ. For it is the power of God unto salvation to everyone that believeth, to the Jew first and also to the Greek. And an incredible transformation had taken place in this guy's life. And I believe, and we know, the whole temple uh, uh, compound there was hearing all about it. Look at verse number 11. It says, and as the lame man which was healed held Peter and John. It's interesting, the term used for held Peter and John is is a term used for put in prison. So he had a death grip on those guys. Uh, Now, not to hold himself up, because we knew he was leaping and running around, but as they began to go in and all of the people began to go, you gotta think, okay, think just, man, think about a person whose whole life had been begging and asking others for their generosity and for their kindness, and now he's the center of attention. Whew, that would have been, I, he would immediately, would have, oh man, my clothes are not that great. <laughs> These pants are suited for a guy who sits down all the time, you know, not for standing up, <laughs> right? I, I, he, all, he, would all, he would have been very self-conscious, I believe. All of that would have come in and, and whoa, everyone's looking at me after the initial joy and all that sort of wore off. And he grabbed onto uh, Peter and John, and it says, and all the people ran together. It means they ran. Imagine a group of people just running at you. That's I would get ready to fight. They all come running together under them in the porch that is called Solomon's. And look at what they were doing, though. They were greatly wondering, what is going on? You've probably experienced that downtown, you know, and you see a crowd of people. You're like, what is going on? What's happening? It's always some magician. It's always a magician, you know. They're always doing a good job there. And uh, they all came around, and they're wondering what was going on. And so here, here's what I want you to see, though, is that Peter takes notice, and he says, okay, some stuff's happening here. People are taking notice. And so Peter then gives to us and gives to them then the message. So the man, we got the miracle, and now we see a great message from Peter. I want you to go to Acts chapter 3, and I'm going to read verse 12 all the way down to the end of the chapter. And I want you to imagine you being there at Solomon's porch Possibly a thousand people or more gathered around as Peter begins to preach to them. And when Peter saw it, verse 12, he answered unto the people, Ye men of Israel, why marvel ye at this? Or why look ye so earnestly on us as though by our own power or holiness we had made this man to walk? The God of Abraham and of Isaac and of Jacob, the God of our fathers, hath uh, glorified his son Jesus, whom ye delivered up, and denied him in the presence of Pilate when he was determined to let him go. But ye denied the Holy One and the just and desired a murderer to be granted unto you and killed the prince of life whom God hath raised from the dead whereof we are witnesses. (laughs) He says, you guys are murderers. Wow. Verse 16. And his name through faith in his name hath made this man strong whom ye see and know. Yea, the faith which is by him hath given him this perfect soundness in the presence of you all. This is referring to the faith that he had in Jesus of Nazareth. And now, brethren, I want that through ignorance ye did it. says, I'm hoping that through ignorance ye did it, as did also your rulers. But those things, which God before had showed by the mouth of all his prophets, that Christ should suffer, he hath so fulfilled. Repent ye, therefore, and be converted, that your sins may be blotted out, When the times of refreshing shall come from the presence of the Lord, and he shall send Jesus Christ, which before was preached unto you, whom the heaven must receive uh, until the times of restitution of all things, which God has spoken by the mouth of all his holy prophets since the world began. For Moses truly said unto the fathers, A prophet shall the Lord your God raise up unto you of your brethren like unto me. Him shall ye hear in all things whatsoever he shall say unto you, and it shall come to pass. That every soul which will not hear that prophet shall be destroyed from among the people. Yea, and all the prophets from Samuel and those that follow after, as many as have spoken, have likewise foretold of these days. Ye are the children of the prophets, and of the covenant which God made, our, uh, made with our fathers, saying unto Abraham, And in thy seed shall all the kindreds of the earth be blessed. Unto you, first God, having raised up his son Jesus, sent him to bless you in turning away every one of you from his iniquities. I want to read here the next four verses. And they spake in chapter 4. And they spake unto the people, the priests, and the captains of the temple, and the Sadducees came unto them, being grieved that they taught the people and preached through Jesus the resurrection from the dead. And they laid hands on them and put them in hold unto the next day, uh, for it was now eventide. Verse 4, though, says, Howbeit many of them which heard the word, what does it say there? They believed, believed, and the number of the men was about 5,000. Woo, what a message. What a great message Peter preached. As those crowds gathered, he saw this as an opportunity, and I'm going to give them the gospel. (laughs) Give them the gospel. Now, what we see in his gospel presentation to those people gathered there. It contained all of the essential elements of a gospel message. And I want to break it down for you just really quickly as we reflect back on this. First of all, the message pointed the crowd towards God and not man. The message pointed the crowd towards God and not man. Everyone, once they identified the beggar and once they all came running and they came in amazement, they came in that porch there of Solomon. It was a, it was a large area that had a cover over it uh, facing the temple. And they were curious. They wanted to know what was going on. And we noticed there in those first couple of verses that Peter immediately said, listen, make no mistake, this was not me and John. This is not about us. He demonstrated to them that it was God that had performed the miracle not the two of them. Some people might have thought that they had special powers. In fact, they had been with Jesus. People would have known that. They thought maybe they had some sort of special powers or because they were so uh, close to God that God somehow uh, heard their prayers in a special way and was able to do this. What he was trying to show them though is that it's not about me at all. It's all about him. It's all about him. And that's what the gospel does. It points others to Jesus Christ, not to man. And, and and I got to tell you, that should be the response that we have as believers when people ask us, what's the deal? <laughs> what's going on in your life? Why, why do you act like this? Why do you make those decisions? Why does your family go to church on Sundays? Our first thing and our first response would be, well, well my pastor says I have to go. <laughs> or else, you know, <laughs> uh, the first response should be, well, it's because of what God has done in my life. And that's what Peter made clear to that crowd. He said, it's not about me. It's not about us at all. As well, the message convicted the crowd of their sin. 13 through 16, I mean, he gave it to them. <laughs> he, was not, uh, he was not, you know, making it all nice at all. He didn't, he didn't uh, uh, try to clarify his points by saying, well, you know, I mean, he just gave it to them. He, 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 he told them and he convicted them about, the sin of delivering Jesus to die and disowning him. Did you see that there in verses 13 through 16? Even though Pilate had declared his innocence, the Jews insisted on crucifying Jesus and they chose to release the murderer Barabbas instead of the holy and just one, as we saw there in verse 16, or in verse 14. See, rejecting Jesus was an insult, was an offense to God himself. And the Jews were guilty of that offense and that was their great sin that they had rejected the one the one that they claim to love and the one that they claim to worship, the son that he has sent, they rejected him, and so he was bringing that up. He says, "Listen, this is your sin." And Peter was very, very bold in his proclamation of it. And, and And I want you to understand, church, when we witness to people, we have to address the subject of sin. We have to. We have to bring it up. We have to point out that we, as humans, are sinners. We're born sinners. Romans three twenty three tells us that that for all have sin and it is integral for a person to trust in Jesus Christ that they recognize that they are a sinner. I have witnessed to people before and I've gone through the gospel, and uh, and when I got to the subject of sin, they're like, nah, I feel I'm pretty good, I'm good, or they believe that. And by the way, this is a, a cultural thing. They believe that all mankind is inherently good. That's false. But unless they recognize, and, and with those people, uh, uh, <laughs> including my son Miles recently when I was witnessing to him, uh, he's like, I'm not a sinner. <laughs> and, and you know what And you know what happened when we got to that point? You know what happened? I stopped. I said, okay. Well, I said, you know, Miles, I said, for you to understand the gospel, you have to recognize in yourself that you are a sinner. And praise the Lord, uh, uh, he came back to me the next day and we talked about it again. And we came back to me the next day and we talked about it again. And then on the fourth day, he was, he was ready. He accepted Christ. He got saved a few weeks ago. And we'll be baptizing him sometime soon. So he's asking me about that as well. When am I, when am I getting baptized? Um, but, but before the, the, the good news, somebody said it this way. Before the good news can be proclaimed, the bad news of sin must be explained. And you have to make that clear to people that, listen, you are in desperate need of Jesus Christ. Because if you think that you've got it all figured out, you think that you could get there on your own, you are not going to turn to the gift of salvation from Jesus Christ. Unless we know we're sinners, we won't have a need for a Savior. And so the message convicted the crowd of the sin as well. The message offered them hope in Jesus Christ. Verses 17 and 18, Peter proceeded to share with them the good news of the offer of forgiveness. After he emphasized to them the sin, he gave to them a, uh, a glimmer of hope. That despite their great sinfulness, despite their rejection of the holy and just one, the one sent from God, all was not lost. And that even the rulers, those that he said, I hope that maybe you acted in ignorance. But regardless of the fact of if you acted in ignorance, you were still responsible uh, for your sin. But now that they knew the truth, they had an opportunity then to turn and to repent. And that's where it comes to the last part of the message where he called the people to repentance from verses 19 down through verse number 26. See, they needed to repent and return to Christ by relying on him to wipe away their sins. Now, there's a really interesting thought there where it says that they were to rely on Jesus to blot away their sins. Did you see that there? It's in verse, uh, let's go back there and let's look at it real quickly. Uh, it is in, sorry, somebody help me out if you find it first. Awkward pause. There it is, verse 19, I'm sorry. He says, repent ye therefore and be converted that your sins may be blotted out. Now that's a really interesting phrase there. It's the idea of being blotted out or, or wiped away. And so Peter here is comparing forgiveness to wiping ink off of a document. Now again, this is 2000 years ago. And 2,000 years ago, when they would write, it would take time for the ink to be absorbed into the fibers. In fact, the ink would stay on top for a good amount of time. And so if they ever made a mistake when the scribes were writing, they could literally take a, a wet sponge or, uh, or a rag that was a little bit damp, and they could literally wipe it away and then start all over again. And that's the picture that he's giving to the people here. He's saying that your sins can be completely wiped away by the blood of Jesus Christ, by what he did on the cross. And, uh, and, and he's, he's encouraging them to uh, repent of their sin and allow what Jesus did to give them that forgiveness because there is no salvation aside or apart from genuine repentance. And repentance involves a deep understanding of your own personal sin against God your need to turn from that sin to trust Christ and obey him instead of obey and trust in your sin and a trust in yourself. And that's the idea of repentance here that he is giving to them. He says, you, you, you crucified him. You rejected the one that God had sent. But through his sacrifice, your sins, you can be, it can be blotted out. You can start all over. You can start fresh with Jesus Christ. And with you today, if you do not know him as your Savior, you can start fresh today with Jesus Christ. He can wipe away that sin. So that when he looks at you, he doesn't doesn't see all of your sin. All he sees is his son. And I love that about our God, that that he calls us to repent. And when we do repent, he will forgive us. And that's what Peter proclaimed to the crowd that was gathered there. Think about it. The first story that's recorded for us after the day of Pentecost and that amazing thing that happened was a couple of guys going to the temple. (laughs) A, A lame man healed. And then as we saw in chapter 4, thousands more coming to faith in Jesus Christ. And to me, it is inspirational when I read it. It's inspiring to think of what God can do. And today, you know, we, we, uh, th- those, those sign gifts of healing, of course, was for a time. And we don't experience those extraordinary uh, events like we see today. Though God can heal, and we know that. And we pray for God's healing. Um, but at the same time, what we do understand is the great healing that can happen in the heart of a person because of Jesus Christ and the need that is seen in our, in our community. But what's the application for us? Because, I mean, we can read that and be like, woo, and go out and try to pick up every homeless guy we find, and, uh, and it'd be a struggle. <laughs> it'd be a struggle. So what do we learn out of this? I want to point out one thought that I mentioned earlier in the message. A lot of it, really the thought that I want to pull out is seen in Peter's conversation from the lame man. When he said to him, such as I have. He said, I'll have silver. I don't have any gold. He said, but what I do have, I'm going to give it to you. So what was, what was the thing that Peter had? What was it that he had? We know it wasn't power to heal him. He made that very clear in his message. So what did Peter have that made the difference? Well, he had a personal relationship with the risen Savior. He had that. And I'm thankful for that. He knew that his sins were forgiven. He knew that he was God's child. He knew that he was bound for heaven. He knew that he would see the risen Lord again. It's what motivated the rest of his life. But he also had a vibrant, living faith. Peter was, I mean, if anyone was zealous, it was Peter. (laughs) He had received that forgiveness of God for his denying of Christ. That horrible mark in Peter's life where he denied Jesus right, before, uh, right around the time of the crucifixion and he denied Jesus and the brokenness that would have brought to his life. But now that he'd been forgiven, now that Peter, uh, Jesus had, had returned and all of that had happened, man, he had some zeal for the gospel and he was ready to set a world on fire for Jesus Christ. He had that. What else did Peter have? He had the fullness of the Holy Spirit in his life. He had surrendered himself completely to God's control. I believe he was a spirit-filled person and a uh, spirit-surrendered person, and he wanted God to speak through him and work through him, and he wanted God to give him power. He wanted God to give him grace, and he was willing to allow the Lord to give him guidance. As well, what Peter had is he had confidence in God. I don't know if you could see that in there, but I see a lot of confidence in Peter. Confidence that God would use an old fisherman, (laughs) someone who had no, no formal education, who maybe couldn't keep up with anybody else who had been through uh, the normal schools, just a hard-working guy, but he had confidence that God could use him and that he knew that if God could use him as a fisherman, he knew that God could use this lame beggar right here. And so it pushed him towards him. Here's the point. He had something. He had something. And guess what? You have something too. You have faith. You have faith that can make a difference you have faith that can be real. You have faith that you can share with other people. But if our faith is lifeless, if our faith is a critical, if our faith is dry, it's not going to have an impact on anybody else. But church, what our city needs, what your circle of influence needs, what your family members need is somebody with a real, active, alive, confident faith in Jesus Christ. That is what Peter had. Faith that believes in the power of the gospel. Do you really believe that the gospel is powerful? Man, we say that, don't we? We say it. It's powerful. Do you believe it's powerful? Because if you believe it's powerful, it's going to change you, and it's going to change the way that you share your faith. Do you have faith that uh, believes that uh, it can change lives? Do you have enough faith that you would allow the Holy Spirit of God to change you into a point of obedience where you would actually follow what his word has to say? Man, that takes great faith, doesn't it? Trusting that what God is asking you to do, even though it doesn't match up with what you want to do, trusting that what he's called you to do is the right way and then following him in faith and obeying him in that way, allowing that change to happen. A faith that challenges us as well to share the gospel with others. Listen, we look at our world around us and it is full of people in need of healing, church. In need of healing. We have to remember that there's nothing that can heal the issues of this world more than faith in Jesus Christ we have to remember that God has chosen us as his vessels to be the ones to share that faith with others and we've got to be willing to step out in faith and like Peter who rather than just walking by a guy that he had seen all the time went directly to him and said I believe I have something that you need when was the last time you went to somebody that maybe you didn't even know or somebody at your job or a family member who's struggling and say man I realize that you're struggling right now I I see that you're having a hard time and you're maybe searching for happiness in a lot of places but I really believe that I have what you need what do you have for me I have faith I have faith in Jesus Christ I have faith in a God that can make a difference and we can share that with others and really that's when we begin to see God do something that only he can do and that is bring healing to a person's life We see that illustrated for us in Acts chapter number 3.
1: We hope that today's message was a help and encouragement to you in your walk with God. To stay connected with us, give us a like on Facebook or follow us on Instagram at Vance City Baptist. Our prayer is that God will grow and bless you as you pursue His will for your life.